Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We try to understand the heart of the church and measure ourselves against the five devotions of the church. The teaching of the apostles, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, and outreach. You're listening to In the Temple Courts by Rev. Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning is from the book of Acts, again, Acts chapter 2. We will read verses 42 through 47. The focus of today's sermon series, the third in our series on the book of Acts, will be a little different than the first two. Our first two are very much focused on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power behind the church, was the first sermon. The Holy Spirit is this sort of prevailing wind that is going to carry all of us to our pointed end. That was the second sermon. This sermon, we turn our eyes towards another important theme in the book of Acts, and that's the church. If you want to understand the church, uh, the institution of the church, you can learn an awful lot about it from the book of Acts. So we're going to start with reading these verses, which are sort of the first real picture of the church, but I'll be referring to other passages where you hear about how the church functions in Acts. So let's read, starting at verse 42, chapter 2. They, that is the early church people, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and held everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Acts 2, and particularly those six verses that I just read, is a passage that the church comes back to over and over and over again, uh, especially in times of crisis and especially in times of of when they're trying to define ourselves, get back to the basics of of who we are. And there's a good reason for that because Acts chapter 2, in those six little verses, you have this sort of ideal picture of the church. feels like you're hearing about the church in its golden age, right? The church before there were any embarrassing leadership scandals. The church, before there were long, cranky congregational meetings. The church as it was meant to be. This is also why, if you ever uh, talk to a church planter, when he or she is starting to plant a church, uh, inevitably, they will reference Acts 2. You know, say, man, I just want to have a church that's like Acts 2. You know, pure and beautiful and everyone together and everything in common. It's just going to be like Acts 2. It's that that sense of the church that, that... gets to the heart of things. That's what we hear in these verses. And that's something we're all looking for right now. The heart of the church. Even before this pandemic, uh, we were filled with questions about who is the church? What is the church in this changing world? The world is changing so fast. Who are we called to be as it becomes increasingly clear that we are not the majority culture? 
And the pandemic has only made those questions even more sharp, right? After 15 months away, what has this done to this institution? Who will we be going forward? As we face these very real and very sharp questions, Acts 2 is a great place to go. Because in Acts 2, we see the essence of the church, and as I read through it this week, and as I studied it, what I think I want to share with you, and what I think we see here, is five basic practices and habits that the Holy Spirit is putting into the church that are foundational, that make us who we are. I want to share those five with you this morning, but I'm going to call them devotions, five devotions of the church, and I'm going to do that based on the text itself. Because right up front in verse 42, it tells you four of those five devotions. And it says that the church was devoted to the teaching of the apostles, fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and prayer. The word for devotion there is proskartereo. Proskartereo. That is a strong word. Proskartereo means to move towards something with deep intention. So when you're devoted to something in the proscarteretto sense, it's not a hobby, it's not a pastime, it's a passion. It's it's something that fills your imagination. It's something that fills your, your daydreams. It's something that you strongly intend and that you think about all the time. So these are five things that were constantly in the heads and the hearts and the hands of church people in the early church. So let's look at each of these five, both so that we can understand the heart of the church and maybe measure ourselves, evaluate our community against these five basic devotions. Devotion number one, right up front in verse 42, the church devoted itself to the teaching of the apostles. Right from the beginning, the Christian church was deeply interested in education. When the Holy Spirit was in the Christian church, it made church members deeply curious about the things of God. Right from the beginning, the study of theology was important to the Christian church. The church was never anti-intellectual. That study was right up front. And notice what the first item on the curriculum was for that study, the teaching of the apostles. The church devoted itself to the teaching of the apostles. So not just any old knowledge, specifically the apostles' teaching. Now, why were the teachings from the apostles so important? Not because the apostles were the smartest guys in the room. If you read the Gospels, it's pretty clear that they were not the smartest guys in the room. The reason the apostles' teaching was so important was because they'd been with Jesus. When Jesus was with those 12, now 11 men, he taught them many things. You read about that in the gospel. So they sat at his feet. They learned from him. And now, what are the apostles doing? They're taking what they learned from Jesus and passing it on to the new Christians. You have this treasury of Jesus stuff. It's sort of like an early catechism, the Jesus catechism, that they're passing on to the next generation. And if you read the book of Acts, you actually have a pretty good idea of what might have been in the Jesus Catechism. We can have an idea of what the apostles' teaching might be about because throughout the book of Acts, you hear public examples where the apostles teach. 
Peter and Paul and Stephen get up in front of a lot of people and they talk about who Jesus is and they share the gospel. We, we see what that teaching is. What's in that teaching? Well, pretty consistently, Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah, that he was sent by the Father and that in the Old Testament that was always planned, that people are saved through the death and resurrection of Jesus and that Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. Now, if you're listening to those things, can you hear the Apostles' Creed in that list that I just made? It sounds pretty close to the creed that we just read a little earlier in the service. And of course, the Apostles' Creed wasn't written until a long time later. But you have this sense that even the creed sort of developed out of this reverence for this body of teaching that went from Jesus to the apostles, to the next generation, to the next generation. This central received tradition, call it orthodoxy if you want, to which people devoted themselves. Here is what the people didn't do when they learned the things of God. They would never have dreamed of just taking their Bible, going into a room, and figuring out God and Jesus for themselves. They never thought that a person all by themselves, just with their Bible and common sense, was enough to figure the things of God. Now, of course, individual Bible study is really important. It is necessary, but it is not sufficient Your individual Bible study is not the start of your journey. Your individual Bible study takes place with reference to this received tradition of the apostles' teaching. That's why when people come up and make profession of faith, one of the things that you always promise to do, right, is to abide by the teaching of the church. That's our attempt as a church to keep ourselves oriented around the apostles' teaching, this received knowledge that has been passed down from generation to generation. There's a modern tendency these days to say, I don't need any creed or I don't need anybody else to tell me who Jesus is. I got my Bible, I got my common sense, I can sit down, I can read it, and you know, I have to, you know, I'm not going to listen to anyone else. That individualistic way of reading the Bible is more to do with the Enlightenment than the New Testament. It's more Thomas Paine than Simon Peter. We are people of deep curiosity about the things of God, and we center ourselves around this received teaching. How are we doing with that? Does theological, biblical curiosity live in our congregation? Well, let me ask you, if I I stopped you in the narthex afterwards and gave you a quiz, could you name a psalm that points to Jesus? They're referenced multiple times in Acts. Could you name a, a psalm that points to Jesus? Do you know why Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4, the calling of Abraham, is one of the most important texts in Scripture in terms of redemptive history? And could you explain why it is centrally important? It's pretty basic, pretty fundamental. If a 13-year-old came up to you and said to you, why does it matter that we worship a Trinitarian God instead of like a, 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 just a straight monotheism? Why was that important? Could you, could you give an answer to that 13-year-old explaining why the Trinity matters? And if you can't do these things, I mean, it doesn't mean you're out of the church, 
Are you at least curious about them? So the early church devoted itself to the teaching of the apostles. Second, they devoted themselves to fellowship. That's the second thing in the verse 42 list. Fellowship, the Greek word here is koinonia. And that's a word that you know. It's translated as fellowship. But it's not just sort of thin fellowship. Koinonia is thick fellowship. It's fellowship of sacrifice and intention again. Koinonia is not occasional potluck suppers and Klondike bars out on the church lawn, although Klondike bars on the church lawn are absolutely wonderful. They are the first baby steps of koinonia. Complete koinonia, complete fellowship in the New Testament sense goes far deeper. It involves sacrifice and commitment. If you want to think of a picture of koinonia, think of some of the rules that monastic communities developed. You know that when monks formed communities, what did they do? They wrote a rule. And there were pages and pages of things that they committed to do and things that they committed not to do and practices that they would adopt together. That formed strong community, intention, sacrifice. That's koinonia. And we get a sense in the text of how committed this community was to that kind of fellowship in the things that they do. They meet together every single day in the, in the temple courts. They're together every single day. They're that committed to the fellowship. And they dine at night at each other's houses with glad and sincere hearts, okay? So lots of Sunday dinners and backyard barbecues together. And you also get a sense of their commitment with the money they commit. And this is true throughout Acts. You hear this over and over again. If anyone has a need, they are willing to sell possessions so that everyone's needs will be met. Deep intentional commitment to the community. Of all the five devotions, all these five practices that I'm going to talk about with you today, this is the one that I'm most concerned about, that we as a staff and as a council are most concerned about going forward for LaGrave and for the Christian church everywhere. Used to be, for me growing up, that the church was the absolute center of your life, right? And I know that's true for many of you. Church absolutely formed you. It was the central place of your entire life that your family orbited around it. And for some of you, that's still true. But for many of us, and this is increasingly so, the church is more and more peripheral to people's lives. The church is like a spiritual snack bar. Right? When you're feeling a little peckish, when you feel like you need something you come, otherwise, you know, I'm fine. And we, you know, the spiritual snack bar, we cater. I mean, if you've got a wedding or a funeral, we're here for you. But that sense of the church as the central community, that's waning. I, I don't know what, it, I name it because it's happening and I, we try to go in the other direction, but that's simply the trend things are going. And it's not the vision of the New Testament. It's not the vision of what we have for this community. We have work to do, and it has to be intentional. Many of you feel, you know, pretty well connected here. My guess is that if you do, it's probably because you have other prior connections. You went to high school or college with people in the pews. You grew up with the people in the pews. Your family members go here. Maybe you work with some other people at LaGrave. And that 
is the driver of what connects you. I know from talking to people who come to this church who don't have any of those things, no work, no prior education, no family connections, I know that it is hard for them to break into the community. Often they want to be part of the community and they struggle to get in. They experience those prior connections as barriers. Now those prior connections aren't intended as barriers. They're good things, right? It's good that you have prior connections. But unless you're intentional, they become barriers. So if you have a Bible study, you can say, oh, we're open to anyone. Anyone can come. But that's not quite intentional yet, is it? Intentional is going out and finding the people who maybe want to come and asking them personally. We have a tremendous opportunity. The world is lonely. The world is hungry for real community. And if that kind of koinonia can live here, we will be giving the world the gospel they need. The third devotion is to the breaking of the bread. That's the third item on the list in verse 42. I'm not going to talk much about this one because the breaking of the bread, scholars mostly agree, is probably referring to the Lord's Supper in the context of worship. So the third devotion is devotion. The early church was devoted to the practice of worship. And the reason I'm not going to say much about this is that if there's one thing that LaGrave is devoted to, it's worship, right? We love our worship. We spend a lot of time and energy on it. We love to get together and be together again and sing songs. Not that there's no concerns here either. After 15 months apart, have some of us learned habits of not coming together or will 15 months apart make us more hungry for communal fellowship than ever? I don't know. What I do know is that the Christian worship is one of the central focuses that the Holy Spirit pushes the church towards. The fourth devotion is prayer. That's the last item on the list in verse 42. And throughout the book of Acts, you see the church at prayer again and again. And if you look at all the instances of prayer, you'll notice two kinds of prayer that the church engages in. First, the church engages in prayer that is sort of formal and routine, which is like the way the Jews used to pray. Right after this passage, you have the story of how John and Peter go to the temple and heal the lame man at the gate. Remember that story? At the beginning of the story, it says that the reason they were in the temple is because they were there at the time of afternoon prayer. So it's pretty clear that the early church, as they gathered in the temple every day, were coming, as they always had as Jews, to pray. Because Jews prayed three times a day. Morning, afternoon, night. Morning, afternoon, night. So it's clear that the, the, the early Christian church is adopting this routine prayer. And those Jewish prayers were not spontaneous, extemporized prayers. Those prayers were, were written down and memorized and recited. And we know that the early church also had those memorized, recited prayers, because in the Didache, which is a second century early Christian document, it prescribed that the uh, the Lord's Prayer would be prayed three times every day. That was the recommended dosage. 
okay? Three times a day, morning, afternoon, and night. So you have these routine prayers which would have been maybe like what you'd experience in an Anglican church or an Episcopal church or maybe at La Grave. But then you also have these spontaneous outbursts of prayer that are heartfelt and spirit-driven in a different way. So, for example, after Peter and John are got, out of pra- uh, got out of prison in chapter 4, all church gets together and they have a prayer service and they pray with heart and voice and the whole place shakes. And in chapter 12, when Peter gets into prison, they're all concerned about Peter and they come together and they pray for Peter powerfully and effectively and Peter is released. And in, Ephes- in Acts chapter 20, in this beautiful scene, Paul is leaving the Ephesian church. He's going back to Jerusalem. All the people in the Ephesian church are really concerned about him because it's going to be dangerous for him to go to Jerusalem, but he knows he's got to go. And so they fall on their knees on the beach as his boat is about to leave, and they embrace each other, and they weep, and they pray. That prayer sounds totally different. That prayer sounds like sort of the Pentecostal and the uplifting, the charismatic kind. All right, so you have these both, the formal and the sort of the charismatic and spontaneous. And that is a dynamic in terms of how the church, the Spirit leads the church that you see throughout the book of Acts. Sometimes the Spirit leads the church through great spontaneous outbursts, like Pentecost, right? Just wind and fire. Or like Paul on his missionary journeys. I don't want you to go to Asia I want you to go to Macedonia, says the Spirit, and Paul is forced to make a right turn. Just these sudden bursts of the Spirit. But other times, the Spirit leads through plans and schedules. The church has a crisis with the widows, and what do they do? They sit down and they have a meeting and they come up with the idea of deacons. The church is all these Gentiles coming in. they got to figure out how to welcome the Gentiles. What do they do? They have an enormous council meeting in Jerusalem. And out of that council meeting, they write a memo. The Holy Spirit using plans and activities and meetings. Here's the problem in the church today. All the spontaneous people who love that first kind of way that the Spirit works, they all go to Pentecostal and charismatic churches and raise their hands and bounce around. And all the people who like the other way, you know, the order and the decency, they all become Christian Reformed and Presbyterian and Anglican. And so you have a church full of engineers and lawyers. Right? This is not good. You need both things. The Spirit works through both things. The last devotion is outreach. That's not mentioned in 42. So you have those four that are listed in verse 42. But I think outreach is everywhere implied in the rest of it. Everything that happens in verse 42, those four activities are clearly meant to reach out to the world because that's the mission of the church that Jesus gave. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Go and make disciples of all nations. And you can see it happening, right? As they gather for prayers, they meet in the temple. What happens? Everybody speaks well of them. And the Lord adds to the number daily those who are saved. Read the book of Acts in the entire New Testament, and it's clear that all the word, all the charity, And all the care 
that happens within the church is meant to give glory to God out there and to bless the people out there and bring them in. As we meet in the modern church, all the words, all the care, and all the charity is not just for us. It's for the blessing of our neighbors to give glory to God and to bring them in. Those are the five devotions of the church. As a way to help you remember them, I want to remind you that five years ago in the fall, we preached a sermon series on the basis of the church. We didn't use Acts 2 at that time, but we came up with an acronym that would help you remember the essentials of what it means to be a church person. Those of you who are here five years ago, do you remember this device that was meant to help you remember? My guess is no. <laughs> the acronym was POWER. Remember that? POWER. And it was a, it, it's a little bit of unusual, it's not the greatest word, but it works. P, prayer. O, outreach. W, worship. E, education. R, relationship, fellowship. All five of the same things that we just talked about right now. So remember that acronym, and you can remember these five foundational things. But don't worry, if you forget the acronym, the power for the church does not come in your ability to remember or in my ability to proclaim. It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit, from the grace and sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, and from the promises of God that do not change. So by all means, devote yourself to these things. But take refuge in Jesus Christ, your Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love your church. It's a complicated relationship. You know, Lord, all the ways in which we struggle and all the ways in which we disagree. But Lord, we are yours. And at the center, there's this beautiful thing that you've kept going for 2,000 years, and it's rooted in your Son and powered by your Spirit. Lord, as we return back from this pandemic and start to re-engage, send your Spirit upon us and make us devoted to your things. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.